I'm telling you, I'm sitting here, I'm sort of numb over what the Colorado judges did, because this is what the left does. And they go to bed thinking that they're good people. We've crushed women's sports. We're good people. We've robbed children of innocence, and we're good people. We have crushed a love of country and a whole generation, but we're good people. We have stopped encouraging marriage, and so a staggering number of lonely people exist, unprecedented in numbers, but we're good people. That is the motto of every leftist, but I'm a good person. That's what they believe. Hi everybody, Dennis Prager here. Yesterday I was in Phoenix speaking for Charlie Kirk and this massive uh, meeting thousands, many thousands of young people and it was, uh, it was quite an event. Yesterday was a watershed. The Supreme Court of the state of Colorado said that a a former president and the leading contender for the nomination for president of one of the two parties could not be on the ballot in the state of Colorado. This is a dividing line that is unbridgeable. If you believe that that was good for the country and morally and constitutionally correct, It's hard to imagine how much uh, we could have in common. I hate saying it because it's painful. It was a despicable, America-crushing decision by tyrants. They're just tyrants. There is no example of the left not being tyrannical in, in history. No example. So it is not surprising It's despicable, but it's not surprising. Liberals are not tyrants. Liberals vote for tyrants, but they're not tyrants. So you'll say, well, of course, the Republicans are tyrants. But you have no example of that. That's the point. You can say it. You can say anything. You can say men give birth. But there is no example. Donald Trump was president for four years. And the country was much freer. There was no court that kept a a Democrat off a ballot. You know that nobody has been charged with insurrection. Do you realize that? None of the J6 defendants have even been charged with insurrection. So how could he be guilty of a crime that never took place? How, how, how does one explain that? Because the left hates the, the conservative, and especially the, the man named Donald Trump, and they will do anything 
to suppress his ability to win an election. Anything. Did I say anything? I mean anything. These judges help me understand. This is another difficult thing to say. They help me understand how judges functioned under Stalin. All of my life I have wondered, these people studied law in the Soviet Union. So what type of human being would serve as a judge for the Stalinist regime? And then the, I realized the answer. Many, many people would. And not only that, the, this notion that they did it because they believed uh, in evil or thought they believed in evil is not true. They thought they were doing good. I don't think every judge who served under Stalin thought, I'm doing bad, or did it solely for reasons of personal advancement in career. Certainly the judges in Colorado didn't do it for career reasons. They sincerely believe in tyranny. And so... That's what that's what happened. What is the uh, where's the Jonathan Turley comment? It was uh, this is what is it throwing uh, a, 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 a lighted match into a powder keg? It is hard to imagine that these what was it five people was it five four four three yeah it's hard to imagine that these four Democrat appointed of course judges could have done more harm to the country by doing anything. There is nothing I could imagine that they they would do that could do more harm to America. I am very, very curious. Did did the New York Times editorialize on this? No. No? Not yet. That's odd. They had enough time to editorialize. I'll be very curious to see what David French says, a man who truly uh, hates Donald Trump. I mean, who who is a thought-filled conservative, but for whom the hatred of Donald Trump really uh, overwhelms all other considerations. And so he finds himself aligned with the left because that's the overriding issue to him. Donald Trump is not the overriding issue. The United States is the overriding issue. Where do you have the uh, do you have the Turley point there? It was uh, it was a very powerful language that was used. Canada bans gas cars, is that correct? Am I seeing this correctly? Canada lays out plan to phase out sales of gas-powered cars and trucks by 2035. So that's 11 years from now. New rules will effectively end sales of vehicles powered only by gasoline or diesel by 2035. This is from the CBC. Canada's lost. I'm going to have uh, this 
remarkable uh, woman from uh, Holland on the show later. She was at the conference, and so I invited her to come back to L.A. and come on the show. She was just in Canada. She she did a lecture tour in Canada. Um, you'll be fascinated by her insights as a European. Well, what is going? Where are these batteries come from? Do, do, is there any energy used in the making of batteries? I know, I know. It was a rhetorical question. And and who is enriched by using batteries? What countries? Right, China. And I'm supposed to celebrate this idea based on climate models? According to the modeling, we were supposed to lock down all of our societies because of COVID. The modeling turned out to be wrong, and societies were damaged terribly. Most of all, children, the greatest victims of leftism. Uh, let's see, what did this, what did this, environmental minister Stephen Gibault, G-U-I-L-B-E-A-U-L-T, will effectively end sales of new passenger vehicles powered only by gasoline or diesel by, in 2035. Gibault said the electric vehicle availability standard will encourage automakers to make more battery-powered cars and trucks available in Canada. No, it doesn't encourage. It forces. <laughs> encourage. Is that, this, is, this is leftist newspeak. You can't do X, so I'm encouraging you not to do X. There's no mistaking it. We are at a tipping point. Wow. How many years have we been at a tipping point in terms of uh, of global warming? Since 1990, at least. So, so uh, 30, 34 years uh, next year. For 34 years, we've been at a tipping point. Didn't didn't China just experience its coldest days in in many years? Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Automakers will have the next 12 years to phase out combustion engine cars, trucks, and SUVs with a requirement. By Canada, such an oil-rich country. You know how crushing this is to the Canadian economy? But we're at a tipping point. Back in a moment. Yesterday by Breitbart, among other things, I had about six interviews after my talk, and a number of them asked, "So, what do you what do you think your most important uh, work has been?" And of course, it, there's sort of a tie between PragerU and obviously the, the the talk radio. I mean, I hope I've done a lot of important work, all my books, but I always come back to my Bible commentary. I don't know what else I can say about that. That's big. Welcome back. And we have... Uh, uh, I'm telling you, I'm sitting here, I'm sort of numb. 
over what the Colorado judges did, because this is what the left does, and they go to bed thinking that they're good people. We've crushed women's sports. We're good people. We've robbed children of innocence, and we're good people. We have crushed a love of country and a whole generation, but we're good people. We have stopped encouraging marriage, and so a staggering number of lonely people exist, unprecedented in numbers, but we're good people. That is the motto of every leftist, but I'm a good person. That's what they believe. Who, who doesn't believe that? That was the opening scene in the video that I made in the 1990s with Alan Estrin, my producer. And that's how we met, making that movie together. David Zucker was the director. David Zucker of airplane fame. Rich Markey was and Rich Markey was the producer. He bless his soul. He's what he did was magnificent. And in the opening scene, we have the people going around. In this case, Los Angeles, but it wouldn't matter where it was. Are you a good person? Of course, I'm a good person. Are you a good person? Of course, I'm a good person. I don't kill. <laughs> right. Well, it's not true for the left. The left kills the country. That's what they do. And they, they believe they're good. That's my war against the belief that conscience really works. The conscience of people who do bad things is, is clear. Now, there, there wasn't an insurrection, at least in the sense of any legal charge of insurrection made, and yet the president... Uh, is uh, is charged with being part of it. There's, this has never happened. So what did you say? The New York Times did have an editorial finally? Not an editorial. No, I know, an opinion piece. Yeah. And did it defend it? Yeah. It defended it. Yeah. Good, I want the New York Times on record as defending it. When you have an idea of the moral status of the New York Times... Who fired one of its longest ongoing editors? He was there like 20, 30 years because he published a piece by a Republican senator. Isn't that something? The audacity. Moderate Palestinian authority calls to murder Jews, fight the Jews, and kill them all. In a startling revelation, this is from Breitbart. This is uh, from a few weeks ago, Just, but it's, it doesn't matter. It's worthy of your being told about it. An official document recently published by the supposedly moderate Palestinian Authority is shown to outline explicit calls for the murder of Jewish individuals as it calls on imams to incite violence against Jews in Friday sermons, sermons citing a religious text for Muslims to fight the Jews and kill them. That's not, not a shocker either. 
I heard a talk, or at least excerpts, no, not a talk. He was on, what program was Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on? He was on some uh, podcast, I believe. I don't, what was, I don't think it was a TV show. Yeah. It was a TV show? Uh, well, one of the two. And uh, his knowledge of the Middle East surpasses any, anyone who is uh, running for office currently. His, and his support for Israel, because he knows so much, uh, was uh, also f- fantastic. Just, it was really something. He, he's a serious and courageous man, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And uh, I, I, I had him on a fireside chat, my weekly PragerU video. There are now 320 of them up. I've done 319 out of 320 weeks. One of the weeks I had COVID, we did not have anybody come over to the house where I, where I recorded from. So I missed one week out of 320. And I'm, I'm unhappy about that. And I never have guests, well, never, that's obviously not true, because I had him. I would say I don't have guests more than three times a year. So 49 are me alone, and three I have a guest. So it's very rare. I've had Robert F. Kennedy Jr. We differ on climate change. But uh, I can I can differ. I don't expect to agree with any individual in my life, let alone in public life, on every single issue. I, I, don't, I don't judge people that way. But there are some issues. If you think what the Colorado judges did was, was good for the country, was moral, was constitutional, that, that would make it very, very difficult for us to talk about anything except sports and weather. That was damaging. We'll have more on that when we come back. I have the senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation and the manager of their election law reform initiative on the line, on video as well as audio, Hans von Spakovsky, sorry, Spakovsky. Hans von Spakovsky, I've had him on a number of times. He knows his stuff. So, Hans, welcome and Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Uh, so, I uh, I said earlier that among the frightening aspects of the Colorado Supreme Court ruling, in my view, is that he, the president the former president, is being charged with fomenting insurrection and that invalidates him under the Constitution. Article 4, was, what, what is it? Uh, Amendment, 14th, 14th Amendment, thank you. And, but I said, to the best of my knowledge, no one has actually been charged with insurrection in a courtroom. Is that accurate? Is what I said accurate? That, that is accurate. He's never been charged with insurrection. And remember, there's a federal criminal statute on this. And very specifically, Jack Smith, the special counsel who filed 
uh, four charges against the president. It was now pending in the in the District of Columbia federal court. He did not. He did not indict the president for insurrection. But but what's more important, Dennis, is is this. Remember, only the president. Uh, the president can only be removed by Congress. Congress, in fact, did charge Donald Trump with incitement of insurrection. This was in the second impeachment resolution approved by the House in January of 2021. A trial was held in the Senate and he was acquitted. It is simply uh, makes no sense, particularly in our federal system, to have four state court judges in Colorado substitute their judgment for that of the, the, the U.S. Senate, which represents all 50 states, that makes no sense whatsoever. It's certainly not in the kind of constitutional federal system that we have. So I said uh, not only was he not charged in court with insurrection, but tell me again if I'm right, I said no one has been, none of the J6 defendants. That's right. Well, that's, that's huge. Right. No, so, no, so, yeah. so he's being denied access to votes in Colorado based on a crime that no one has been charged with. No, that, that's right. But look, the court shouldn't have even taken up the issue of whether or not he committed insurrection because the section, uh, section three of the 14th Amendment under which uh, they are removing him from the ballot, it doesn't even apply to President Trump. Okay, if you look at the language carefully, what it says is uh, it applies to anyone who engaged in insurrection or rebellion if they previously served in Congress, in state government, or was an officer of the United States. Um, most people might think, well, an officer of the United States would obviously include President Trump. They're wrong. The U.S. Supreme Court has on multiple occasions, starting in the late 1800s uh, uh, and re most recently, just 10 years ago, another case said that term, officer of the United States, refers only to individuals who have been appointed to positions within the federal government, not people who are elected. What that means, Dennis, is that Joe Biden's not an officer of the United States, neither is Donald Trump. Merrick Garland, who was appointed to his position as attorney general confirmed by the Senate, he is an officer of the U.S. So this provision doesn't even apply to Donald Trump. Yet the Colorado Supreme Court, four judges, outvoting three dissenters, said, in essence, well, we're just going to ignore what the U.S. Supreme Court has said, and we consider him to have been an officer of the United States. Right, but even if you were considered an officer, why doesn't my argument apply that nobody has been charged with a it, crime? It yeah, it does. Okay, it, so it, hold, hold on with it, me if you does. would. We'll be back in a moment. One eight Prager seven seven six Hans von Spakovsky, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. to read to my guest, Hans von Spakovsky, Senior Legal Fellow at the Heritage Foundation, on the uh, 
remarkable and frightening ruling of a court, Donald Trump cannot be on the Colorado ballot. Another example of the left war against this country and the thinking that they're noble. So, Hans, I'd like you to hear, I, I asked my producer, did the New York Times write an editorial on this? I don't know if you saw this, it just came out today. So, one of the, a member of their editorial board, Jesse Wegman, writes, The U.S. Supreme Court may well reverse the decision on any number of grounds, including the question of whether the events of January 6th constituted an insurrection or whether Mr. Trump engaged in it. By the way, that's hilarious. He is acknowledging in his editorial that it has never been established that there was an insurrection. The New York Times believes it. Right. And therefore, it, it it's irrelevant if a court of law in America believes it. But all these concerns only amplify an important point. Shouldn't both major parties insist on presidential candidates for whom such questions are not even remotely at issue? In other words, I, Jesse Wegman, and the editorial board of the New York Times don't like Donald Trump. Therefore, courts can prevent him from being on the ballot. That's what he's saying. You with me? Is that... Uh, did I think he, he froze? Well, in fact, that's the whole problem. Yeah, go that, ahead. That's the whole problem in this case is that that they're allowing their dislike of a candidate to make them think it's okay to take the right to make the choices away from the American voter, which is just wrong. Um, those four judges in Colorado have, have in essence said that the, the more than four and a half million registered voters, state of Colorado, they don't have the right to make their own choice about uh, all of these issues, wh- whether Donald Trump should be a candidate, whether he should be president. And, but, and the only way they get there is by actually misapplying and misinterpreting the U.S. Constitution to say that they have the ability to remove, remove him from the ballot when, when they don't. And there are multiple reasons why what they did was completely improper. Yep. Uh, I uh, this is a dark, another dark day uh, in, in American life. What do you? I, I very rarely ask guests what they predict, but I, I have no choice here. What right. uh, is there any remedy other than the Supreme Court? No. Um, once you reach the highest level in the state court system, and you have here with the Colorado state Supreme Court, the only appeal is to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, normally, they're not going to take up a case where a state Supreme Court is interpreting its own state constitution and its own state laws, but that's not the situation here. Here, here, the Colorado State Supreme Court is misinterpreting and misapplying the U.S. Constitution. That brings us squarely within the authority of the U.S. Supreme Court and they they should take this case and they should put it on an expedited hearing schedule so that they can make a decision as soon as possible because, look, these primaries are coming up and uh, the ballots are already being prepared by election officials uh, that they've, the U.S. Supreme Court has got to make a decision on this 
very quickly. Did you have a chance to read the minority judges? Of, yes. Yeah. Were they effective arguments? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I'll give you another argument we haven't even talked about, which one of the dissenters brings up. And it's this. Um, look, back in 1869, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court at that time, Samuel P. Chase, in an opinion said, Section 3 is not self-executing. That means that it can't be enforced unless Congress passes legislation providing an enforcement mechanism. Congress has never done that. That means that no court, like the Colorado courts, have the authority to even enforce Section 3. The dissenter pointed this out, and the the four judges, the majority, they just ignored that and said, oh, no, no, we can enforce it, despite the fact that uh, they, they really don't have the legal authority to do so. So it looks like I have a call from someone who wants to defend the the verdict, and I hope that's true. So we'll go to it and see if that works out. And I'll have Hans on as well. Frank in North Hills, California. Hello. Yeah, no, I actually don't want to defend the verdict. I, I think it's wrong. Uh, oh, okay. Then, 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 then let me hold, keep you on hold then. I, I it has here. I want to explain to Dennis. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, he. Okay. All right. Well, let me try that again. The okay. I have here that you think it's. You want to explain why the Colorado ruling is justified? Oh, wait, wait. I lost him. One second. I go want to get him back. They don't need it. Okay. Need start it. again. I didn't hear you. You weren't. You weren't on for whatever reason. Start again. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, what does it is, you know, uh, incitement to a uh, riot, which is uh, what Jack Smith is going after uh, for January 6th. And that definitely applies. Okay. All right. Unfortunately, we're not, it's not coming through. Okay. All right. Uh, anyway. Well, well, I think, yeah. Dennis. Yeah. I, I said, I, I think, I think what the caller was probably trying to claim was that Jay that um, uh, Jack Smith is going after uh, Donald Trump for what happened on January 6th. Uh, well, yeah, but he's not charging. He's not, there's a specific federal statute on insurrection rebellion. That is not part of the indictment. In fact, there are four counts, uh, two of which are about obstruction of an official proceeding, uh, and the other two are for, for supposedly defrauding the U.S. None of those counts mention the statute on insurrection or rebellion. So, in fact, Jack Smith is not charging Trump with that. Well, Hans, as usual, you're a font of knowledge. I thank you for your work, and I thanks for for coming on. Here it is, everybody, the male-female hour, every Wednesday, the second hour of the Dennis Prager Show, and every season. And that's the way to put it, every season. This is the winter. The winter edition of Allison Armstrong. <laughs> Allison Armstrong and I go back many years. Allison, uh, do you still where where do people contact you? Allison is one of the most uh, popular. I don't know what the word is. Helpers, aides, insiders. 
what is what is your what is the term for what you do? Ah, for for what I do, I think of myself as a potholder. Um, I want to be useful. Um, I'm of service, but um, if I was going to be described with a verb, I illuminate. Il- uh, illuminator. That's good. Illuminate. Yeah, well, she's a renowned relationship expert. Her website is Allison Armstrong. One L one S Allison Armstrong dot com. So Allison, there are many reasons I have Allison on is her, her fertile and uh, inquisitive and original mind is the biggest. But another is that I, I have a female perspective periodically, whereas mm-hmm. I try to be and I know I am fair, but nevertheless, I am also male. So I yeah. I do see the world through a male brain. The brains of the two sexes are different, by the way. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's another reason. So uh, Allison is the only guest I ever have whom I just say, what's on your mind? And then <laughs> I go for a coffee. <laughs> what's on your mind? Well, I, I want to invite people to take something on that could transform the rest of the holidays. Happy belated Hanukkah, by the way. And um, and if it works, keep doing it because it can take us from normal to causing more respect, more admiration, more joy, more connection, and more truth, more truth being heard, even when it's not being said. And it's so simple in that, you know, that original mind, which it's just like my dad's and my grandfather's, um, but I have to engineer things. So I just been taking these things apart and then I have the most notes I've ever had for being with you. <laughs> wow. And then I let them go because it's your show. Um, but just like simple mechanical things to understand about being human and being male and female and having minds and... And that we have to filter our perception, whether we're single focused or diffuse awareness, we, we have to filter or we can function. And the nature of those filters affects everything. Okay, so I'm not clear. What, you introduced this notion of filtering. So what are you referring yeah. to? The way we hear things? Well, it... it more precisely would be how we process things, what we perceive and how we process what we perceive. And the normal way to do it, you could consider, which is appropriate, but you could consider it self-oriented. Like, what does this have to do with me? What do I know about that? What do I think about that? What do I feel about that? How can I use this? How will this get me where I'm going? Those are all self-oriented ways of processing what we're hearing and it's it's literally a filter because it'll filter out what the judgment is i can't use it this isn't of any use to me right or i disagree with this and then we often go on down the thought process of why do i disagree and that's all just normal and natural but and it's a default we often don't even choose how we're filtering and we can, it's extraordinary, it's a conscious choice to choose how we're filtering, and we can filter in ways that what we're perceiving, which then creates our reality, can completely change our relationships, whether we're a man or a woman. 
So the default is another word for the the normal way without effort how we filter. All right. Yeah, and like, you say well, and and that and that can cause problems. Oh my gosh. So the the most predominant default for men is to filter with the question if the person doesn't seem upset filter the question what's the point what's the point what's the point they're listening for the point what's the point that's what's correct the point? as a male i smile that the other male in the room <laughs> a, a smile of utter recognition that's right yeah. that's what the a male yeah. brain asks all the time what's the point What's the point? And you can actually tell how people are filtering by what they interrupt with. So they'll, so a man, if it goes on too long, will say, is there a point here? Could we get to the point? Right? And that's how you can tell how he was filtering. Well, that's if they're very direct. They, they might be more genteel and say, <laughs> so, so honey, what exactly are you saying? <laughs> That would be exactly. the that that would be the sweeter way of what the what, hell are you, are you talking about, time? right? The, yes. the worst Perfect. is what the hell are you talking about? Why are we wasting this time? The yes. the the yes. next gradation is what's the point? And the sweetest is and so <laughs> and so. Tell me, honey, what 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 exactly uh, do you mean here? Right. right, right. Well, and then if the person seems like they're upset. The most normal way for men to listen is with the filter. What's the problem? What's right. the problem? Right. How You're can how can we get you? How can we get you unupset? Exactly. And right. the problem is. And the problem. By is, the way, let I me just say, she knows men. This woman <laughs> has no, no, no. It's, it's the, this is your everlasting credit. Her story is fascinating. She she started off with antagonism toward men. And decided, I want to understand them. And she lost her antagonism and does understand us. That's a really high compliment. But that, all right, so this is exactly, okay, so, so the $64,000 question obviously is, and how do women listen? Well, the default for women, which is also self-oriented, uh, oriented, is <laughs> the most, the most predominant is, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do All with right, me? All right, now hold on. Did you this know that? To do with me now? I did not know that. This is revelatory. <laughs> to the two men sitting in this studio, it is revelatory. That yes. Is, so, by the way, I, as a talk show host, should be aware of that. I have two audiences, male and female. And yes. the, the men are saying, so what's the point? And I know that I fulfill their need. They right. know exactly what my point is. That That's why I'm known for clarity. But now that right. you mentioned the other one, I I should also make clear why this affects you. Is that what yes. you're saying? Oh, yeah. What this has to do with it is. So, for example, when I was choosing my words... Right? Like if you shift your filter, you can have more joy. Both men and women are love joy. More connection. Women have to have connection. Love, that's a total bonus, but everybody thinks they know what it is. And truth. We will have more truth. 
So there are things that men would more like, women more like, but then it also changes as we get older because women start thinking more like men are, we're used to and men, men's brains change and they have more diffuse awareness. And so now they may be asking the question, what do I feel about that? So <laughs> just to give it interesting, our brain switches up. But can I tell you the other way that women listen? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm mesmerized. To begin with, how much time, Sean? Be I don't. Okay, don't start yet. Yeah, tell me the other one when we come back. Allison Armstrong, one L one S. AllisonArmstrong dot com. Back in a moment. The Dennis Prager Show. Pretty paper, pretty ribbons, blue. Wrap your presents to your darling from you. Pretty pencil. Right, I love you. Allison Armstrong, the inimitable one, on today's. Uh, <laughs> you always laugh, but that's only because you're I you're a do. humble you're a humble woman. You are inimitable, and the the subject which she chose is how men and uh, tell me if this is a correct summary. How men and women hear differently. And I, th- I love this stuff. I love male-female differences has always fascinated me since I was in college. And so men, to review, men, when they hear, they think, what's the bottom line or what's the point? And women are more, how does this affect me? That, that's, that's a terrific help for both. But you were going to give... What does this have to do with me? I'm sorry. More literal, what does this have to do with me? Oh, what does it have to do with me? Oh, yeah, you're right. That's that's an mm-hmm. important correction. Agreed. How is this about me? Say it again. The center it... of the universe. How is this about me? Because I'm the yeah. center of the universe. Right, right. So when you're talking about your golf game, I think that somewhere in your talking about the golf game, you're going to tell me that you thought of me. <laughs> and you get all the way to the end and you haven't said anything about me, then why did I bother listening? It had nothing to do with me. God, it's precious. It is truly precious. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we that's why we gotta go from normal to extraordinary. We gotta choose. Uh-huh. And you know, we ended up with like we talked about the two different ways that men tend to listen. So you right? know, I point? just realized what a feminine side Sean has. Because whenever <laughs> we speak well, like I was in Phoenix yesterday giving a speech. <laughs> And he wanted to know how often I thought of him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Sean did. Yes. <laughs> I got to see him while I was waiting. <laughs> okay, but it can't right, get you, worse. So you have a second way. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so women, and we consider this, the thing is, is that we all think that we're really listening. We don't know that we're filtering through what's the point, what's the problem, and that everything that doesn't register in there is screened out. It's literally not hurt. It, does, it doesn't show up in shining color. And then, or we're listening, what does this have to do with me? Or another way we listen, and we all think this is good, what does she need from me? What does he need from me? What do they need from me? So everything that's being said is being filtered through, okay, and so he needs from me, he needs from me, he needs from me, right? Or she needs from me. And, you know, this is why we don't ask you what you want for Christmas, because 
for the last few months or Hanukkah, we've been listening. Oh, he needs socks. He needs this. He needs that. We make the list because of how we're filtering. Well, I wasn't even aware of listening this way until my youngest daughter was telling me all this stuff about her life. And then I said, so what do you need from me? And she blew up <laughs> in the best way. She said, I don't need anything from you. I want you to know me. And oh my gosh, first I was upset that I'd done it wrong, right? And then I recovered and realized my daughter wants me to know her. How privileged am I that she wants me to know her? And when I'm listening for what does she need, all that information is getting sorted like a change machine. And and, I, and God so are men and I, women different. That's all. Yeah, you want to know my filter? God are men and well, women I was different. Trying, I was, I Can was you imagine to a son saying to a dad, I don't want anything from you. I just want you to know me. <laughs> no, no, I'm not even, not, I'm not mocking it at all. I'm just saying it's yeah. so not normative in, in, with, with a father and son or two, or two men. Yeah. Uh, yes. Before you say what you filter, can I tell you? Because yo, I was thinking about you. Yeah. And I was trying uh-huh. to think. Okay. Because you can learn how people filter by how do they respond. Right. Right? Yeah. And I think one of the ways that you filter, which is the source of what you offer to the world, is how does this make sense? Right. Something along the lines of how does this make sense? How does that make sense? Does it make sense? Yeah. It makes sense of things. Or you go, that doesn't make sense. Right. Correct. Right. Right. (laughs) And it drives me crazy if it doesn't make sense. Yes. And I am like that too. My dad and I were talking about it once and I was teasing, you know, because he was asking me about my work. And I said, dad, you know, the funniest thing is people pay me dollars for me to make sense. And he just started crying. That's right. <laughs> and yeah, we both make sense of things. This is one of the reasons why we enjoy each other because we're making sense of this and all of these crazy outcomes people have that are mysterious. All right. Them. So why did you they tell your daughter's story? What was the point? I'm being male. What was the point of that story? Because women think listening, what do you need from me is good. It's all goodness. What do you need from me? It's because I care. What do you need from me? But to my daughter, it didn't occur like I cared about her, that I just cared about what I could do for her. I wasn't actually hearing her, seeing her, getting to know her. And Dennis, you and I, I don't think I've ever talked about this, but the predominant reasons that men and women commit suicide are different. Men commit suicide when they decide the people they care about are better off without him. Women commit suicide when they can't be seen. Nobody sees me. Well, all right. Back in a moment. Back in a moment. This is uh, riveting. singing this Nora Jones oh your heart 
Allison Armstrong of AllisonArmstrong.com, 1L1S in Allison. How men and women hear differently to this man, a lot of this is, is truly insightful and revelatory even. Men, men are bottom line oriented and women, what was it again, and women, oh yes, what does this mean to me? I want to get your, your wording correct. <laughs> what does this have to do with me? What does it have to do with me? Right. And what do you need from me? And what do you need from me? You had mentioned they, that, why did you mention that men and women commit suicide for different reasons? What, what was the relationship? Because listening, what's the point? What's the problem? What does this have to do with me? What do you need from me? Can prevent us from hearing and seeing the other person. So when a woman is listening, what does it have to do with me? She's not paying attention to what the man in her life is focused on, right? And all his energy is going into what he's focused on and being productive. What is he trying to produce? That's what what's the problem is about. He wants to produce a solution for her, he wants to help her, to save her, to relieve her, right? So he's, she misses what he focused on, which is all about her. <laughs> By listening, what does it have to do with me? Well, he's listening, what's the problem, and trying to analyze the problem. And when we listen, what does it have to do with me, and what do you need from me? We don't see the person because there's this huge missing step that besides the one in the middle, we can choose to listen differently and we'll have a whole different result. But whether we do or not, if you add the step of verifying and clarifying, because while we, it's normal to filter and process what we're perceiving, which isn't all of it because we can't handle all of it, we also trust our perceptions. So when I'm listening, what's the problem, right? Or you're listening, what's the problem? A, a classic is a woman will be looking for affirmation about her body. Like, do I look okay in this? Do I look pretty enough? And he's, she's clearly upset. He's listening. What's the problem? And the problem is those dang women's magazines that are always telling us how to fix ourselves. And so he doesn't respond the way she needs him to. Instead, he's like, would you stop stop buying and reading those magazines? <laughs> well, wait, how does she want him to respond? You said he doesn't respond the way she wants. What should he say? She wants him to, she wants him to say, honey, you're beautiful. Or like one time I, I told Dan, I said, I'm, I'm kind of self-conscious because I feel chubby. And he said, you're not chubby. And then there was a pause. And he goes, well, you're a little chubby, but it's all good. And I looked at him. And he goes, I remembered that truth is your love language. <laughs> you said that to him? Truth is your love language? I had told him that early in our courtship. He said, I remember truth is your love language. And I never, I've been called chubby all my life. And I, I've never had been called chubby and liked it so much. No, we you're chubby in all the right places. <laughs> so we want to, we need our self-confidence just gets trashed by the voice in our head and the standards we hold ourselves to. I mean, for all the women who have been worried about their homes being perfect for the guests they're having for the holidays, I call it hostess head. It, it turns this 
into people who can barely experience joy because we're pursuing perfection. So we need a lot of affirmation from our men. Yeah, honey, you look beautiful. But what about this? I like that part about you. We all have squishy parts. Yay for squishy parts. Because we think we're supposed to have boy bodies. Only now we're supposed to have boy bodies with butts, right? It's the new fashion. So in like when you're talking and we're listening, what does this have to do with me? You're, you might be sharing something that's important to you, but we're not listening that way. We're listening, what does this have to do with me? So we'll interrupt you to find out what it has to do with me. So what do you need from me, right? Just like a man will interrupt, so what are you trying to say? <laughs> and then both men and women will shut down. We'll stop talking. And then, like, women think men are superficial because how we're listening causes us to interrupt. And women think men are insensitive because how we're listening, how we're filtering, we call it listening or thinking, causes us to interrupt. And nobody's left feeling seen. And All right, hold it there. I want to tell everybody, (laughs) is this how you perceive, is this helping you? Do you relate to this? 1-8 Prager 776. Important talk about how men and women hear. Hi everybody, Dennis Prager here, and I have in studio Ava Blandingerbrook, and I don't expect you to remember the last name, but uh, it is her last name, she's Dutch, V-L-A-R-D-I-N-G-E-R-B-R-O-E-K. That's right. And the Germans have even longer names, so don't complain everybody, or anybody. I must admit though, between Vlardingenbrück and Smith, or Jones. I know. <laughs> it, 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 now you know why English is the international language. <laughs> it, it, um, it's a lot simpler in many ways. Hmm. Ava has been on the show a number of times. We discovered one another in Budapest a few years ago. At, we were attending the same conference. And it was immediate realization that we're kindred spirits. Uh, Ava has been on Tucker Carlson's program, she tells me, ten times which is quite remarkable people there are people who would uh hmm. give a, a bodily part to get on uh, Tucker's show <laughs> and all your bodily parts are still intact I think so yes that's so, I checked yes so, yes that's good <laughs> <laughs> yeah so Ava and I both spoke uh, for Charlie Kirk yesterday at the Amfest is a magnificent uh, event for th- 7 8000 young people in Phoenix, so we reconnected, and I invited her to come back to L.A. She did, and then she's headed back uh, later today to uh, Holland and her family for Christmas. Uh, she's a political commentator and a very uh, powerful and courageous voice. Uh, Holland, folks, uh, is it's a remarkable country when I think about it. It's so small... And it's been so influential. Hmm. It's uh, here. Here's one example today, not just historically, 
after the United States, the greatest exporter of food in the world is Holland or the Netherlands. I mean, how many people know that? And what is, uh, why I even know that, I didn't, but I know that because your government has wanted to get rid of your farms. That's right. So tell everybody about this because it, it borders on the unbelievable. It does border on the unbelievable. I mean, if you think that people have best like good intentions, you know, it doesn't make any sense. But our government clearly does not have good intentions. The uh, the Dutch government has decided a few years ago that we have a so-called nitrogen crisis, Dennis. And um, hold only- on, I want to I want to assimilate that. <laughs> yeah. A nitrogen crisis. Yes, it's. Um, As, wait, that seriously? That's distinct from a carbon dioxide crisis. It is. Okay, go it ahead. It is. Yeah, but it's all, of course, under the banner of climate change. Of course, so right. They, I, I feel like they pick and choose. You know, whatever is easiest or most convenient to them. But yeah, so they uh, they said that we have a nitrogen crisis, and that's because cows, just like humans, burp and fart, and that causes climate change, according to the Dutch government. And they said that. In order to solve this nitrogen crisis, 30% of the cattle farms needed to go. And conveniently, that meant that the farmers had to sell their land to the state. Not free market, but to the state. So that happened a few years ago. And uh, thankfully, we still have a little bit of courage in our bones, especially our farmers. And they they weren't having it. So we've had protests going on for... Yeah, about three years now of really courageous farmers who've gone out in an almost undutch fashion and said, no, you know what? I'm not going to allow you to steal my land from me. It, it's actually, I, I report on this daily, mm. the, the absurdities and obscenities of the left. But this is almost the most dramatic Mm. Because what it means is suicide for for your country. Yes. Yeah. I mean, financially, it's, you know, farming, what I want people to understand, like you said, we are a very small country. The Netherlands, we were just in uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, and Arizona is seven times the size of the Netherlands, of my entire country. Uh, But we are the second largest exporter of agricultural products in the world. We are the largest exporter of meat in the European Union. We are a small country, but we're big at one thing, and that's farming. And that's that's an historic fact as well. Modern farming in the Netherlands started in the 1500s. So we are really, really good at it. And the fact that our government is now coming after one of our most profitable, um, historically also important sectors of our nation, you know, the sector that puts food on people's plates is beyond, well, any, if you have a normal set of moral you know, values, and it's it's beyond it's beyond comprehension, really. So, if you, I were to ask ministers in your in your government who who were for this, mm. what effect will closing a third of your farms and not having animals toot any longer have on carbon dioxide levels on planet Earth? What would they answer? Oh, they couldn't answer, right? So, I mean, 
Probably because it wouldn't have any effect, and that's I think why they've gone with nitrogen rather than carbon. Oh, and the and what's the problem with nitrogen? What they're claiming is, and and so you have to understand that this is a, a, a this is a non-issue, right? So I'll I'll tell your audience right away, this is a non-existing crisis. It's a crisis that's been manufactured by bureaucrats in Brussels and in the Hague in order to rob the farm or the well the farmers of their land. So the, I, I want to get that out of the way first. But what they claim the issue is, is that the nitrogen deposition causes certain plants to grow in areas where they don't want those plants to grow, quite literally. Because yeah, but what, what is the problem? Pl- pl- plants take high... high- carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere yeah no so some unelected bureaucrats in brussels have decided about is it 20 years ago or so that there are certain areas in the netherlands that are classified as natural reserves and they're the vegetation cannot change or it's bad for the soil which is nonsense you know because if you think about it like I said, farming is, is an industry that's been around for centuries. Climate change is supposedly a new problem. So why would you attribute a new crisis, quote-unquote, to a profession that's been around for centuries on end? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's a reason for my silence. I am trying to make sense of it. So what is really amazing to me is that because we're going to get to your most recent election, which was an earthquake yes. in, the, in, in Europe, not just in, in, in the Netherlands. But what is frightening, I should say, that I don't know if I use the word amazing, that's not a good word. What is frightening to me is that I assume half of your fellow countrymen are okay with closing farms? What they, I think what our establishment, our government hopes and what they have been using against people is that they don't quite know how to argue against it. So they, they, they trust that people, again, trust the experts, right? So if there's a group of experts that claims that we have a nitrogen crisis, they play into hu- people's humility almost. And, you know, that they'll think, well, I don't, I don't know if there's a nitrogen crisis, you know, and if these experts claim that there is one, then maybe something should be done. And people who don't know what nitrogen even is or, you know, what type of issues nitrogen deposition could cause would then prefer not to question the authorities on it and, and take a sort of middle ground. And they're like, well, maybe expropriation of farmers goes a little bit too far, but Maybe we, you know, have to close a few because we don't want climate change. And they believe that, right? So, Was this a directive from Brussels or is this o- o- autonomous? They, so I think the, the European Union, the, government, the Dutch government, and even the court system all play in cahoots here. So they use, the Dutch government has used a European regulation from 20 years ago to push these nitrogen rules. So th- those were the natural preserves that the European Union had laid out. And then they said, okay, yeah, we need to pres- we need to protect those those areas. And another climate, it is, it's a very complicated story, but another climate organization said, yeah, Dutch government, you have to protect these, these areas. And all of these, I would say, politically motivated organizations all work together to a common goal, and I think that is to get rid of our farmers and to have a government 
that can just take away private property whenever it, it pleases, you know, and, and that's the agenda behind this. It's an agenda of control. It's not about climate. It's about the but government. But the willingness of people to be controlled, that's what I said was frightening. Absolutely. Back in a moment with Eva Vlandingerbrook. <laughs> Did I get it right? It's, it's really impressive, Dennis. I mean, people struggle with it a lot. Wow. Vladingerbrook and get used to that name because you're going to hear it and see it even more often. She's on Tucker. She's been on 10 times. <laughs> She's uh, been on my show a number of times. She is a, a, a force to reckon with in Holland, her native Holland. Her English is so great, it's hard for you to r- realize that her native language is not English, but is actually Dutch. By the way, did I ever tell you my Dutch pen pal story? Yes, I think you did. I think you did. I was 18 years old. I went to the World's Fair, and the Parker Pen Pavilion offered you a pen pal anywhere in the world. Just write your interests. But it had to be the same sex. They weren't setting up Lonely Heart Society. That's what I remember them saying. So I wrote down my interests. I got someone in Holland, Steinecke Doise. I'll never forget the name. And I I was corresponding with Steinecke for a year. Then I visited Holland. Uh, Amersfoort was the city. Oh, I'm from I'm from Hilversum, which is only 15 minutes away Hilversum from Amersfoort. Hilversum is where Radio, Radio Nederland is. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's the media. It's That's the media right. city. I know. Well, anyway... Guess who greeted me at the airport? No. Or a woman. <gasps> yeah. Steinecke. Steinecke. Do- I thought I was writing a man, a boy. I wanted to say you said Steinecke. I was like, that's not that's not a male. Yeah, <laughs> but a it's female. a rare name, isn't it? Yeah. It's because a- it ends in a vowel. That's how. That's the giveaway. But I didn't know that. Old Dutch. You know how shocking it is? Maybe today it's not with all trans stuff, but it, you you think you're corresponding with a male and then a female shows up? <laughs> it, it was it was so, so. I kept wanting to say, "Are you Steinica? Are you Steinica?" How and many years I, later was that? Oh, just uh, uh, two years later, I'd say. Three okay, years. Yeah, but it was a while. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Anyway, back to Holland and the the amazing issue. So the there has been. I, I tell me if this is overstating the case. There has been a sort of revolution. You're not overstating, no, because we had elections about three weeks ago, and uh, there was, I mean, the results were, first of all, unprecedented and completely unexpected. We had the uh, the so-called, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying so-called, quote-unquote, far-right party, which is just a party that was right so far, if you ask me, a, uh, a, a nationalist right-wing party win the elections, the PVV. Geert Wilders is the man behind that party. Maybe your audience knows him. Uh, they uh, they won. One in four, four people went out to vote for this party. And now for people who don't know the Dutch political landscape, that's a lot because we don't have a two-party system. We have pl- like a scattered political landscape. We have 12 parties, if I'm 
correct that currently have seats in our parliament. What what percentage of the vote do you need to get a, pl- a place in parliament? We have a proportional system. I know, and what is it? So it would be you would need about sixty thousand people to vote for you, and then you have one seat in parliament. So what percentage of the, of the voting population? Is it? I assume it's done by percentage. Right. Well, so we speak. We oftentimes speak in seats, and my math is terrible, Dennis. So you're putting me on the spot here. But our uh, our second chamber, so that's you know the most important. Uh, they have 150 seats, and Geert Wilders just got 37, which is way more than any establishment party ever has gotten. But is it more than any other party in this election? Yes, but and by a large margin. So the VVD. Let's say the, the neoliberal globalist party that has been in power for the past 10 years, 30 actually, but the Prime Minister Mark Rutte has been for the past 10 years. They are the ones behind all of the, all of the attacks on our farmers, for example. They're the ones behind the open border policies. They are the ones behind giving up our sovereignty to the European Union. They have gone down to 23 seats. And they were the second largest party. So 37, 23? Yes. That's a landslide. It is a landslide. It is. I cannot stress enough how mind-blowing it was for us to see this result. No one, no one saw it coming. Including you? Including me, because the polls didn't at all uh, you know, predict this. And the PVV, that's what you have to understand, Dennis, is a party that's been demonized for the past 20 years to a degree that you wouldn't believe, you know. Similar to what has happened here. Oh, of course. Fascists. Yeah, Nazis. fascists, right. Nazis. Right. Geert Wilders even has been um, has been prosecuted and convicted by the Dutch court system for his political views. Because he was well, too critical. Like of, it's exactly, that's what they do. Right. He's too critical of Islam. Right. He's too critical of mass migration. And he, he got convicted. So the Anybody fact that this man Anybody been convicted won, of being too, too critical of Christianity? Has it happened in the Western world the last half century? It hasn't happened yet. I do know of this story. I don't know if you heard that of this Finnish um, member of parliament who was trialed for quoting a Bible verse. Yes. yes. I, I think I reported it here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, was it on homosexuality or was it on men, God created men and women? I think it was just, just that. Yeah, yeah. God. Yeah. That's bad enough. Gender or that's sex, right. I yes, would say. That's yeah. right. So, by the way, folks, we, we would say Gert, it's a G, they say Hurt. So I want you to know, though, many of you heard of Wilders. Uh, didn't we have him at a PragerU? Uh, I know that I was on a program with him. Maybe it wasn't PragerU. Okay, I, I, I know that I, we've been together. The, that man is courage. I mean, he, he, under the word courage, is a picture of that man. Is Geert, that fair to say? Yes. Geert Builders has a lot of skin in the game. He is somebody who has walked the walk and talked the talk, both. And uh, his criticism of especially Islam has landed him a few fatwas against him. Mm-hmm. So he cannot go anywhere without security. Right. 24-7, the man cannot go grab a coffee by himself. And this has been the, the, the case for the past 20 years or so. And so the fact that he... Does now, any critic of Christianity need bodyguards? Why isn't that, mm-mm. my friends, sort of a dispositive statement about the current state of religions in the world? Right. You'd think, huh? You'd think. So, Geert Wilders has had threats from radical Islamists, and he's been... How do been, people get in touch with you? They can follow me, especially on Twitter, or now X, right? So, that would be at Eva Flar. 
Oh, you didn't bother with the whole name? Uh, no. Right, so no. V-L-A-A-R. I figured we'll keep it short, nice right. and short. And, and I need uh, to get married. We we spoke about that, but it would be good to get rid of that last well, name. <laughs> you're speaking to the right guy. I'm trying to get everybody married. <laughs> Ava, you're terrific. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dennis. It's a pleasure. All right, here we go again with Feliz Navidad, another another classic. Well, we're going to go from Holland to America, and I have Aldo Budazoni. Aldo is a young influencer with PragerU, and he is the narrator. Is that the is that the term? Host, yes, of a new documentary put out by PragerU just yesterday. M-I-A, so it's a play on words because M-I-A means missing in action, but what it stands for here is masculinity in America. So Aldo, congratulations, and it's a perfect, unfortunately, play on words, isn't it? It is. So what's your theory personally? You're a young man. What's your theory on what's happened to masculinity? Well, for a long time, the feminist movement has tried to tell us that men and women are interchangeable. And in that that, narr- that narrative, uh, they've tried to say that men are not needed, right? If men and women are interchangeable, then that means that one gender is not needed. And sadly, that's left men with a lack of a sense of purpose and identity. And what the result is we don't have weak men. We have bitter men. We have angry men that are lashing back out at society. We have men that don't know their place in society. And what we're trying to show with this documentary is that men are needed, that men and women are unique and different. And a strong society is a society that values strong men. And we want to show men that they have a place in this society, that they are valued, that they're needed. And unfortunately, men aren't getting that that message right now. God, is that true? The association of not having a father with dis-ease, together means disease, but I mean a lack of ease, a, a, a inner turmoil, and often violence is so is so well documented. You would think that it would be one of the most important subjects in American life, the demise of fathers and men. But it isn't. Is that it's, correct? It is correct. And what's funny about the feminist narrative about toxic masculinity, you know, you hear this phrase a lot, is counterintuitively the place that you see the most quote-unquote toxic masculinity is the places where there's the least masculine influence the the fatherless home right kids that grow up in a fatherless home they are a, a higher chance to not graduate high school to get involved with drugs and gangs uh, to go to prison and so it's in the exact places where there's the least amount of masculine influence where you're producing men that are ending up in bad situations and so the cure to that is more masculinity not less I always wonder if there is toxic masculinity, which, by the way, means masculinity. Toxic masculinity on the left means masculinity. Right. Right. But I would love to pose the question, is there toxic femininity? No, 
how could only one sex produce toxicity? No, it's it's true. And what they get wrong about toxic masculinity is they they try to uh, to say that anything that comes anything bad that comes from masculinity is inherently from men. And I think this paints this picture that all things bad in society are because of men. But the thing that the feminists don't get right is when they call things toxic. They don't show you the flip side to that, which is that there is utility in the things that they call toxic. For example, when they say that it's toxic that men hold in their emotions. Well, the flip side to that is there's utility when there's a burning building down or when there's people that need you to be strong. Holding your, your emotions has utility. They say that aggressiveness <laughs> yeah. is toxic. Wait, wait, wait. The, this notion that women would really love men to be more emotional. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, there is a scene in, uh, the, what is the movie? Uh, it's been Bedazzled. I've seen both incarnations of Bedazzled. The one from the 70s and the one, I, I guess, from the, the first decade of this century. They're brilliant. It is brilliant. The devil offers a guy all these wishes because he wants to get this, this girl you know, to love him. And he comes across her diary. He, he sneaked into her room one night and he, he read her diary. And what she said is, I want a sensitive man. So he, he wastes one of his wishes with the devil, make me the most sensitive man in the world. And they're sitting on a beach and he's reading poetry to her and then starts to cry as the sun sets <laughs> because it's so beautiful, the sunset. A couple of guys come over, kick sand in his face, and she goes off with those guys. Oh, my gosh. It, it, it's, it's brilliant. Uh, the, the documentary is at PragerU.com, MIA, Masculinity in America, back in a moment. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com.